Hi, welcome. This particular channel will be devoted to reviewing 2023. If you feel like sharing anything, by all means, that's what this is for. And if it's related to any of the discussed topics of the episode, all the better. That's what this podcast is all about. So please come find us on Instagram on Let's Review with Layla and You. I will be dropping promotional posts accompanying the episode to start the conversations and give you all a place for some reciprocation. Welcome back to another episode of Let's Review 2023. This episode will be reviewing much. And I have to say, after the intense February that we just covered, I was kind of zooming, I think, because I don't really remember any big ticket items happening, per se, in March. But lo and behold, once you really dig into it, oh yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. So let's hop to it. The annually recurring events this month are International Women's Day. On March 8th, on March 17th, St. Patrick's Day. At the end of the month, March 23rd, the Ramadan starts, as well as daylight saving time went into effect this month, at least in Europe, in my country. I know that there's some discussion and that not every country wants to play anymore, but in my country they call it summertime, which always makes me think of that summertime track by Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff. There's also another interesting celestial astronomical occurrence, and thus also an interesting astrological occurrence, is the Venus and Jupiter conjunction on March 1st that was visible with the naked eye. I was unfortunately unable to see it, so do feel free to share your pretty pretty pictures. Okay, so as I was sifting through the happenings of March and trying to make it a cohesive episode, related items were sorted together and there were so many different happenings. Basically, it's all boiled down to a form of ableism, be it racism, sexism, misogyny, patriarchal bullshit. I just decided to dub this next section ableism. It kind of separated the weather climate related items because that is partially, yes, man-made, but also it is mother nature. So I did sort that into its own category, after which there's an accident section, and of course the much beloved, the weird wackadoodle say what now news section, and to wrap it up, some celebrity news, and to give y'all a little taste of the duchy life, and in what way that may or may not be similar to what you're going through. Particularly notable about this month was that country after country's government banned TikTok from the government's phones. They also placed a timer on the app for minors, seeing how addictive it can be. And without digging into the whole privacy of it all, I do think it's quite a good idea to put a timer on apps, or at least a reminder that, I don't know, you've been on your phone for the last hour. You can easily while away your entire evening, day, just scrolling, because that is literally how they wrote it. They used the knowledge on how to keep people engaged longer, and thus make people more easily addicted. So, do you know that song, Be a Slave to the Music? Let's stop being a slave to our phones, shall we? So anything that interferes with that, I can't hate. Social media can be a well of gems and knowledge, but still, let's not forget that we're also social beings and remember how to interact in real life, seeing that that is apparently becoming a scarcity among the younger generations. I always personally find it hilarious when you see youngins all together, they're all on their phone, but hey, their inability to socialize and hang out has apparently caused them to have sex a lot later on in life, allowing people to hopefully get a little better acquainted with themselves and about consent and all that jazz. And in this way, it causes a lot less teenage pregnancies. 
with that alone. I'm all for it. And speaking of unwanted pregnancies, unfortunately, after Facebook and Instagram already allowed Trump back, YouTube now also allows Trump back on their platforms. Why? The only reason I can think of truly is because of the views and thus the money they get from it. Because that man has been proven to be dangerous. And it took you a fucking ass long time to toss him off in the first place. Basically, only after his term, people started to boot his ass. But now, probably because he's running for 2024 again, and they are trying to hedge their bets that he might actually again win and thus make more money because it's not for the welfare of humanity. They are all allowing him back on their social platforms. Like, why? Blows my mind. And it's just such a clear form of ableism in all of its dirty, disgusting, terrifying, threatening, disastrous ways. Or enableism, I should call it. Is that a word? Can I patent that? Incidentally, this month was also the first ever criminal case filed against his ass. And that was made extra, extra funny because it was due to the hush money he paid to adult film star Stormy Daniels. And I do very much love the poetic justice of that. And I really, really hope that this is the first of many and that this kind of crap will take him down because that little motherfucker needs to go down for so many reasons, if only to finally, for the first time in his entire life to be actually held accountable for all the criminal, morally corrupt deeds that that little fucker did. Because we've all seen it, we've all heard it, it's gotta stick. Right? Right? On a related item, the shaman schmuck from January 6th is apparently sentenced to three and a half years in prison. See, they're all going to prison. How about the man himself? Are you with me, friends? International aid organization's Doctors Without Borders, also known as Médicins Sans Frontières, has closed a hospital near the Haitian capital, Port-au-Prince, due to persistent gang violence. According to the organization, the safety of patients and hospital staff can no longer be guaranteed. In just two weeks' time, nearly 200 deaths occurred due to the escalating gang violence. Holy mother. What the frack is happening over there? And is anyone going to do anything about it? In March, there were again multiple deaths due to the Israeli-Palestinian escalating violence. In March, Palestinian and Israeli officials reached agreements at a meeting in Egypt to reduce tension. They also pledged to work together to curb and counter violence. They both emphasized in their joint statement that every effort must be made to maintain peace in the holy places of Jerusalem. And seeing that this year, Ramadan coincided with the Jewish Passover and the Christian Easter, this joint statement seemed to foster a little hope. However, diplomatic commitments to de-escalate the situation appeared to have had little effect so far and well seeing that this is recorded in October I think we all know where this went unfortunately at the same time since the beginning of the year tens of thousands of Israelis have been taken to the streets every week against the government's reform plans thousands of reservists are also now speaking out against the scheduled reform plans they even threaten to refuse service if they are implemented however on March 23rd a law was passed making it much more difficult to remove a sitting prime minister from office under that new law it was only possible to remove a prime minister if he or she was physically or mentally unable to perform that function, thus completely sidelining the Supreme Court. A few days later, the greatest protest yet of over 330,000 people went to the streets, as well as Israeli Defense Minister Galan spoke out in a televised speech. He was not going to participate in it any longer, and to no one's surprise, the next day he was fired. However, it did seem that all of this fuss finally got to Netanyahu because shortly thereafter, 
at the end of March, he announced that he is temporarily putting an end to the planned reforms. Shortly after his announcement, the largest trade union in Israel announced the end of the nationwide strike. Interestingly, while I was sifting through the news archive this month, the United States was still pleading for peace and expressed their concern with Israeli stance on the developments concerning these reforms as well as Israel's settlement policy. And we all know how that went. On the subject of war crimes, the International Criminal Court in The Hague has issued an arrest warrant for Russian President Putin for war crimes in Ukraine. They cite the deportation of children from Ukraine to Russia as their main reason. At least 6,000 children were taken. A lawyer says the chance this case will actually come to fruition is extremely small because a trial at the court can only take place if the suspect is physically present in The Hague. Russia has said that they will not cooperate with extradition and Putin can still travel to countries that do not recognize the ICC without being arrested. Well, it's better than nothing. Sends a clear message that what he is doing is considered a war crime and that as soon as we are able, his ass will be held accountable. I'd heard about it in my country, but apparently it's a European-wide problem. After the Russian invasion, refugees from Ukraine are welcomed with open arms. However, not everyone. A large part of the almost 20,000 African students studying in Ukraine continue to encounter racism and discrimination while fleeing. Now, a year later, the situation has hardly improved. According to Ukrainian government figures, there were 76,000 foreign students studying in the country when the war started. Almost all of them have now left the country and many had to stop their studies. Ukraine was seen as a paradise for students looking for affordable education in Europe. Racism, people. It's really still a very much present, ongoing problem. And I am horrified, though sadly not surprised, that this situation has made this once again very clear on how fucking white supremacist, racist, ableist much of European society still is. And thus also shows how very much we are in need of some proper re-education. Amnesty Institute says that the Western response to the Ukrainian war exposes the hypocrisy. There is a deafening silence about the human rights situation in Saudi Arabia, passivity towards Egypt, and the refusal to tackle the Israeli system of apartheid against the Palestinians. And note, Amnesty International said this in March of this year, not now in October, when that apartheid regime has pretty much moved straight into gender. Genocide, which is very interesting because the Israelis are descendants of the victims of genocide perpetrated by Hitler and the Nazi regime. So if ever there was a clear example of what happens if you don't address it, if you don't heal from it, from your traumas, your intergenerational traumas, you become the thing that you hated, that damaged you, and you go from victim to perpetrator. And isn't that just your worst nightmare, that you become the thing that you felt powerless against? Because like no other, you know how it feels to be victimized by such a person. That's what's so fucking heartbreaking about all of this. Honestly, people, work your shit out, please. Amnesty believes the selectivity with which the West issues condemnations fuels impunity for human rights violation. Preach. For the report, the organization examined the situation in 156 countries, so they know what they're talking about. The illegal invasion of Russia and the violence against the Ukrainian population stand out. It is one of the worst humanitarian and human rights crises in Europeans' recent history. According to the organization, the West has rightly responded quickly and harshly. Although, in my opinion, it could have been a lot faster and it could have been a little harsher, but okay. The West imposed 
sanctions on Moscow sent military aid to Kiev, and the International Criminal Court in The Hague launched a war crimes investigation. Well, yeah, okay, there's that. However, the robust and welcome approach was in stark contrast to previous responses to mass violations by Russia uh -huh. and others. Start to name a few. And to the restrained responses to conflicts such as in Ethiopia, Yemen, Myanmar. Beijing is using its global influence to block action against widespread human rights abuses against the Uyghurs, and many hundreds of thousands of members of this Muslim minority are housed in internment camps. China denies international accusations of genocide, but yeah, they're doing forced sterilization and re-education and just like, no. Also, in doing this research, I discovered there's a serious issue with forced labor in Cambodia as well. So yeah, plenty of human rights violations all around. And though, yes, we are, well, in March at least, very much focused on the situation in Ukraine. Of course, now the dire situation in Gaza can be added to that. What are we doing? Also important, what are we not doing? And maybe we should work on that. Here I am trying to do my part, I guess. Please do join me. Knowledge is power, people. Ignorance is a cage, and feelings can be dealt with. I think I'm gonna make that my new life's motto, honestly. Speaking of the atrocities we humans commit on each other, the millions of refugees and migrants these antics result into, this month was pretty heavy on the global level shock, that's awesome, news on the treatment of and the situations migrants, refugees were subjected to. And bear with me, it's quite a list, but that is intentional just to show the sheer magnitude during March. So bear with me, friends. Here we go. Apparently, hundreds of migrants were discovered in an abandoned truck in Mexico. A single truck. There were 103 children in the trailer. Apparently, such discoveries happen often in Mexico, but this kind of number, even to them, was exceptional. The, in total, there were 343 people in the trailer. It went on later in the month. The U.S. Border Patrol officers found two suffocated migrants on a freight train near the Mexican border. A group of about 15 were taken alive from the wagons, although 10 of them had to be taken to hospital. In addition, 38 people were killed in a fire at a center of the National Institute for Migration in northern Mexico. Another 29 people were injured. It seemed to concern a group of migrants who had recently been arrested for panhandling on the street. I mean, you gotta make a living somehow, right? According to eyewitnesses, a fire broke out in the part of the detention center where the arrested migrants were housed. A government official said that they set a few mattresses on fire, after which the fire spread through the building. Important to note, though, guards at the Mexican detention center apparently did nothing to extinguish the fire or move people to safety. As can be concluded from surveillance images that have been posted online. Something similar has happened a few years ago here in the Netherlands. If you put them in a corner where they don't see a way out, people become desperate and can do some crazy dangerous shit. But then to leave them to burn? Wow. The fact that migrants, people in search of asylum, refugees for whatever reason, be it humanitarian crises or environmental disasters, which are going to be exponentially in the future, I'm guessing the majority, vast majority of refugees that we as the surrounding countries will be called upon to come to their aid. Why it is that they are viewed as less human than the current residents? I mean, the term alien in and of itself was just not nice. This is a trend that my entire life I've been aware of that I found disturbing, but it seemed to be just the way it is, which is a very bad excuse, I know. But especially these last 20 years with the wars escalating on a global scale, I am shocked and horrified to see the dehumanization happening. And 
And unfortunately, it seems to be widespread. There are, luckily, thankfully, blessedly, people who are making a difference, people who are embracing people who are fleeing disastrous humanitarian situations that I think we, as the exploiting countries, the other day I found a post saying that we need to stop calling it third world countries or undeveloped countries, but that we need to start calling them the overexploited countries because we are the exploiters, the colonizers. And I have to say that one hit home for me. What people seem to be forgetting is that oftentimes they are running away from situations that we had a direct hand in creating, be it colonization or climate change, environmental disasters. Also, we live on the same planet, we breathe the same air, we are of the same species. Not that that should matter all that much because I think we should treat different species humanely and kindly and people tend to forget how fucking lucky we are if we have a house, if we have clothing, if we have easy access to food, clean water supply, and even these days to the internet. All those things to some people on this planet are all still considered to be luxuries. And as soon as you forget that, you fall victim to a horrifyingly limited ableist worldview. And once you fall victim to that, it is a very steep slippery slope. And to round off this migrant section with another horrifying story, since 2016 the European Union has been training and financing the Libyan Coast Guard as part of a policy to combat illegal migration from North Africa to Europe. Thousands of migrants end up in detention centers in Libya after being intercepted by the Coast Guard. The Libyan Coast Guard stopped an aid operation by SOS Mediterranee this month with warning shots. According to the French aid agency, workers were helping migrants from a rubber boat into a rescue ship when the Coast Guard approached and began to behave aggressively. Aid organizations such as Doctors Without Borders have previously drawn attention to the poor living conditions in those camps. There will be a lack of hygiene, clean water, and food. The European Commission said in 2021 that the detention centers in Libya should close. As of yet, that has not happened. And at the end of March alone, at least six boats carrying migrants sank in a single week, resulting in dozens of deaths. Again, I'm noticing a trend that the European Union feels like it's getting overrun, it's causing their own country's population rising up. Well, what do you expect when you demonize migrants? But the fact that they keep tossing money at the problem and basically granting unlimited access and resources and money to people with not all of them, but most definitely some of them, with ill intent and with a lack of humanity, I also find a very disturbing trend. My intent is by sharing this to help us all one, be grateful for how we are at the moment apparently able to listen to this podcast, but also to motivate you as well to, to vote for the people that choose humanitarian resolutions to these situations and also to see what you can do in your direct environment community to stop these news items from becoming even more prevalent. In addition to all this horror, another great tragedy happened in March. The perpetrator of the shooting in a prayer hall of Jehovah's Witnesses in Hamburg was visited by the police apparently weeks before the massacre after an anonymous tip about his mental health. Eight people were killed in the mass shooting, including an unborn child and the shooter himself. In January, apparently the police received an anonymous letter about the shooter. The letter writer stated that the man may have suffered from a mental illness. The only reason he wasn't medically diagnosed was because he did not seek treatment. The 35-year-old shooter had a permit for a semi-automatic handgun. 
During the police visit in February, he cooperated with the officers and according to the police, there were not enough grounds to confiscate the weapon, for he had no criminal record and wasn't involved in terrorism before the attack in Hamburg. Uh-huh. And may I ask, was a psychiatrist, psychologist, social worker consulted when the police made this judgment call, which apparently was very, very off, and I do so very hope that they learn from this, that better to be safe than sorry. The fact that someone felt the need to write that letter, that there were concerns, he should have had to have handed over his weapon. And possibly, I don't know, do a psyche vow? I mean, if there's nothing to worry about, he'll pass with flying colors. No biggie. All the mass shootings in the past few decades and all the loss of life that could have been prevented. Better safe than sorry, people, honestly. Where do y'all land on this? Another tragedy hit the Germans this month. Two German girls, aged 12 and 13, admitted killing a 12-year-old girl. In lieu of their age, the Public Prosecution Service does not want to say anything about the background of the murder or the motive, but it is known that the perpetrators and the victim knew each other. As they are younger than 14 years old, they cannot be prosecuted for their actions, but they are in custody and will be handed over to youth care. Yeah, many European countries don't have laws prosecute children under the age of 13, 14, because they say that the brain isn't developed enough for them to be aware of what they are doing is wrong. I'm of two minds on this topic. On the one hand, we see killers become younger and younger, and for a while now, the argument is the brain isn't fully developed, or someone with right state of mind wouldn't have done this. I think it should be taken into account, yes, but then you can argue that for every single person that commits a crime, because something has to be wrong with you for you to do that in anything other than self-defense, in my opinion. Be it a shoddy, shady, off-kilter moral compass, or just, you know, a few wires crossed, or desperate for whatever due to circumstances. I mean, there are shit tons of reasons why people commit crimes, but to commit such a vile act at that age, knowing how the lack of follow-through there is when it comes to treatment, counseling, guidance, I am concerned, partially for the people who suffered the loss. Like, what does that do to you, knowing that these kids will probably be out and about in a year, two years, but at the same time, should it cost them their life? No, but I do think that they should get some serious, intensive, long-term treatment to firstly find out what made them do this. Was it disassociation from reality that can somehow be fixed with the proper treatment, or is this really just something in the brain gone wrong, slightly sociopathic, psychopathic tendencies showing up early in life? And sometimes I wonder if there is enough expertise made available, accessible, for such considerations, because the fact that you are able to do this at this age, even with your moral compass intact, that's gonna leave its mark. Not only on you, this is truly a life-altering event for an entire community. If that's not properly cared for, I think this possibly, probably result in more trauma and violence and possible deaths. But that's my professional take on this, which is one of the reasons why I am so saddened to see how youth care, child services, all sorts of family programs being gutted, expertise being lost due to the ill treatment of staff, people walking away for whatever reason. I mean, I've heard all the arguments. I've lived quite a few of them. I am living a bunch of them. I think also part of it is that we are becoming a fractured society. We vilify people that are different instead of celebrating our differences, learning from each other's perspectives, and not the least bit less important, the access to mental health care. Proper, decent, specialized, 
affordable mental health care. It saves lives in the short term, in the long term. And personally, I think that at some point in our lives, every single person on this planet can benefit from a counselor or a therapist that can help you sort out your scattered thoughts, lend a shoulder to cry on, a listening ear where you don't have to censor yourself. That's some professional advice from someone who actually is specialized in and is trained to know more about this. There should not be, need not be, such a stigma on suffering from mental health problems. I think when you're human, that just comes with the territory. But also that we learn how to spot it, how to engage with someone who is struggling, and also where to go to for help. I think if we tackle just those few things, the world instantly, or pretty instantaneously, would be a much better place. That's me making this a worldwide problem after a single event in Germany. But that is my take on these kinds of things. I wonder how others feel about this. Like, am I pulling this way, way, way? out of proportion? And am I assuming way too much? Which, you know, valid. Did I make you think on how these kinds of topics land? What happens after these kinds of events? Because usually that's not where the journalists go. They report the news, and after that, who the fuck knows? Polish activist has been convicted for giving abortion pills to a pregnant woman. Activists of the abortion rights group Abortion Dream Team must perform 30 hours of community service every month for 8 months. She said in court that she'd supplied the pills to a woman who was a victim of domestic violence. The pregnant woman had asked the action group for the pills because her husband, who was abusing her, did not allow her to travel abroad. Human rights organization Amnesty International reacted with shock to the conviction and says it sets a dangerous precedent. In Poland, a strict abortion law was passed in 2021, only allowing abortion in cases of rape, incest, or when the life of the woman is in danger. It is not a criminal offense in Poland to be in possession of abortion pills, yet, don't give them any ideas, but anyone who helps a pregnant woman terminate her pregnancy can receive a prison sentence up to three years. What a fucking time we're living in, people. In addition to that, in Texas, 15 women, you go ladies, are suing the state as well in lieu of these idiotic antics. They've alleged that they were denied life-saving emergency care due to Texas's abortion laws. Lawyers representing the women are asking the court to provide a remedy applied to patients whose life, health, and fertility is at risk from an emergent medical condition. Because, yeah, you can have an ectopic pregnancy and they are only allowed to help you once it blows. But once it blows, not only have you lost that fallopian tube, there's a risk of infertility and death. And therefore, a pregnancy that, by its sheer definition, is not viable because of its placement in the fallopian tube. As the fetus is supposed to nestle in the uterus, but if it nestles too soon, thus in the fallopian tube, it can grow until the fallopian tube pops, thus killing the fetus killing the fallopian tube, and possibly the mother, and possibly, if the woman can be saved, her chance of ever being able to conceive ever again. Those are the scenarios that are not taken into account, and that are right here, right now, happening, changing people's life's trajectories all over the world. And not for the better. Meanwhile, Wyoming is the first American state to ban abortion pills. See, I told you, don't give them any ideas. This is a dark, dark age yet again to be a woman. Like, what the fuck is happening, people? It's the 21st century. This is what happens when you don't educate your people. These are legislators who are making decisions about topics that they have no fucking clue of what it even means. I mean, ask a legislative man about the reproductive system of a woman, and they draw a blank. Not to mention, who are you to overrule doctors? And someone own choice about their body. There's no freaking law where it says that we have control over what men do with their bodies, but oh, there are plenty of laws to tell other people what they can do with their body. Are we seeing problems? Cis men, conservative assholes yet? Mm-hmm-hmm. Educate your children, people. And if their parents and school have failed them, educate your friends. Educate your partner. 
to continue on with another story that beautifully shows how women have suffered for many, 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 many years at the hands of very judgy people. Prime Minister Nicola Sturgeon has apologized for forced adoptions in Scotland between 1950 and the first half of the 80s. More than 60,000 Scottish women were forced to give up their children because they became pregnant without being married, forcing them to give birth and then ripping their babies away because you think that they are not fit to be mothers. Again, who the fuck are you to decide that? But okay. Other countries preceded Scotland in terms of apologies. For example, in 2013, Australia was the first country to formally apologize to mothers for systemically taking away children. The Canadian government followed suit in 2018. Can we just make it every single government that ever even remotely pulled this kind of crap should apologize? Like, that's the bare minimum, people. And stop refiling to get these laws enacted again, because that is literally where we're going. I, honest to God, silly, silly me, never thought that it would get this bad. I knew there were some people who felt this way. I really, truly thought, and I still somewhat believe, that we outnumber them. Unfortunately, the people that make the decisions, these wackadoodle, backwards, ignorant, liberalist laws, are the people in power. And we need to either vote them out or push them out. And we're back on the striking. Now it is in Germany. Security and baggage handling staff at Munich Airport went on strike at the end of March. Public transport in Germany is virtually paralyzed due to the massive strikes as well. Employees are demanding higher wages to compensate for price increases. The long-distance trains do not run at all, and there are far fewer trains running regionally. Employees at the major airports of Munich and Frankfurt are also on strike. I can imagine there were a lot of frustrated people in Germany in March. Also, public transport employees have recently campaigned for pay increases in the Netherlands, Belgium, France, and the United Kingdom. Said 2023 really is strike baby, though it doesn't always work. The French President Macron has sidelined Parliament to push through the unpopular increase in the retirement age. As a result of the pension reform, the retirement age in France will increase from 62 to 64. Though striking may not always result in the desired outcome, I think by striking in and of itself, you clearly show that there is an issue needs to be addressed, and you are much more difficult to ignore once you've made your voice heard loud and clearly. Plus, the solidarity doesn't hurt. It means you're not alone in this. Also, it makes management manipulating you a lot less likely or successful. Notable event this month, the American Silicon Valley Bank went bankrupt. U.S. authorities have taken steps to ensure that all the money of the account holders is safe. Unrest surrounding it has led to the falling of stock of banks worldwide. Later in the month, Silicon Valley Bank gets acquired by First Citizens Bank. As long as the account holders don't get fucked over, I'm happy. And thus we have arrived to the LGBTQ plus section. And fair warning, it's a tough. In Uganda, sex with someone of the same sex was already punishable, but their new law goes a lot further. Promoting homosexuality now carries a maximum prison sentence of 20 years. According to activists, this opens the door to punishing LGBTQ plus advocacy. So-called aggravated forms of homosexuality are already punishable by death. What the actual fuck? I'm not even gonna dig into that one further. Just, again, be aware that this is happening and what this means for the people living under this rule and that these are the people fleeing these countries and coming to us and be fucking welcoming and respectful and accepting because you should never be thrown into prison for belonging to the LGBTQ plus family, let alone trying to advocate and fight for their rights because that's what basically this boils down to. If promoting homosexuality and advocating it can land you in jail for 20 years, that means that you are also not allowed to protest this ruling without fear of being thrown into jail for a few decades. Let that sink in for a minute.
first off, let me state, under no circumstance do I condone what this person did. On March 27th, a mass shooting occurred at the Covenant Private Christian Primary School, Bill, Tennessee. This event and its subsequent reporting generated a lot of feeling on a lot of different levels, not least of which the horror I felt of, again, a school shooting, a gun violence incident, children getting murdered in their school, a place that should be filled with laughter and happiness where you should be able to feel safe. However, in this instance, the shooter was a transgender person and noticed and got pretty quickly annoyed. And I wonder if you share this with me, how the news outlets reported on this event. They continued to misidentify the shooter using their dead name instead of their chosen name. And some might say, I don't have any respect for this person and therefore I am not going to advocate for using the proper pronouns and using their chosen name and not their dead name. However, note that in using someone's chosen name instead of their dead name and their chosen pronouns instead of the ones that society forces upon them, you are not condoning that person's behavior. You show them the common courtesy that you would and should show every living creature on the planet, regardless of their actions. Like I said at the beginning of this, I strongly condemn what they did, and I'm horrified that they caused so much pain and suffering for generations to come for countless families, including their own, because they were hurt. I'm also a therapist, an INFJ, and I truly am capable of having sympathy for the devil, thus meaning this doesn't just happen in a vacuum, usually. There is a story behind how someone became so filled with fear, hate, that it led to this violent act. And it, again, it's just not an excuse for behaving like this, but it allows you to understand how we got here, and thus it allows you to help someone heal from the pain that they felt to such an extent that they did this, and also to help others who are building up to this and hopefully stop before it ever gets to this point. Really make it a learning experience. Not to forget that I'm also part of the LGBTQI plus family, and disrespect to one of our family members is disrespect to any and all who identify with this part of this person, no matter what they have done. Though I do not condone in any way, shape, or form ever to do this, considering what we've learned about them, there's a story here. And I think that story deserves to be heard so at least we can learn from this and hopefully prevent a similar event from ever happening ever again. And I ask to respect people who identify as transgender and who didn't shoot up a school, to respect them enough to get this part of the story right. If you do that, you show them that there is a place for transgender people in our world. The fact that this person was transgender should not impact how we treat them. Because just look at how they treat all of the vast, 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 vast majority of Caucasian cis male shooters. And look at the narrative that they use when it's a person of color. Immediately, a completely different narrative, and thus image of the shooter, the mass shooter, is delivered. That instantly taints the entire event. Reporting on the atrocious, horrible, condemnable acts that someone committed should not depend how someone identifies or race of the perpetrator. We should condemn people for their behavior and not for something that they have no control and no choice over. Because then you're being ableist, and that never leads to anything good. 
having said that, shooter shot and killed three nine-year-old children and three adults in a private Christian primary school in Nashville. The shooter himself also got killed in the shootout with the police. Police identified the shooter as a 28-year-old Aiden Hale, who was once upon a time an elementary school student there. Hale was armed with two guns and a pistol, and later more weapons were found in their home. There are indications that there was a sense of resentment about having to attend that school. Investigation must show whether the fact that Hale was trans played a role. Hale was known to be treated for mental health problems. Report acknowledges that Hale identified as a trans male, but officially they still list as female. Why? Many and all news reports that I came across kept using female pronouns and their dead name. Annoyed the crap out of me. I choose to be respectful enough of the transgender community to use their chosen name and their chosen pronouns. At least I'm assuming a little here that it was he, him, and not they, them, but I'm gonna alternate a little. Hale was found carrying a knife inscribed with their chosen name, Aiden. I'm now I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit because I think this is very relevant to this entire event happening, all of it. Months later, autopsy report notes that Aiden had abrasions, bruises, and minor blunt force trauma. The report included new details about the attack, including the revelation that Hale's clothes were covered in handwritten notes, drawings, and numbers. The report also noted that Hale wore a plastic anklet inscribed with the numbers 508407. The Covenant School, and this is where it gets creepy and to me very indicative that, oh yeah, there's a story here. The Covenant School sought to intervene the release of Hale's writings to protect the sensitive information owned by the Covenant School. As Aiden Hale's parents transferred all power of attorney over to the school, which I in and of itself find interesting and slightly disconcerting. A collection of Covenant parents, 75% of the families at the school, sought to provide argument that the writings, even in redacted form, should not be released to the public at all. A judge granted the requests, thus blocking the release of the writings to the public. Why? However, the Metro Nashville Police Department remains in control of the manifesto, regardless of who technically owns the file. Police have said Hale's writings are part of an ongoing investigation, which could take another year. Yeah, I'd imagine. A letter to the chief, signed by 66 Tennessee State House Republican caucus members, called for the release of the perpetrator's writings, as well as relevant medical records and toxicology reports. Well, lo and behold, the Republicans can still surprise me. State Representative Jeremy Faison, House Republican caucus chair, has told the Post his group doesn't understand the apprehension. Really? Hazard guess. Over releasing the material and pointed out that legislators are being asked to consider new gun control legislation since the shooting without knowing the totality of Hale's circumstances. Well, okay. Yes, all transparency is key. What strikes me here is that a Christian school that the shooter went to, knowing that they're a trans person, the school is doing their utmost to stop their writings from being released. Writings that apparently were so important to Aiden Hale that they pinned it on their body, knowing probably that they were going to die that day. And that just makes me think that it's going to incriminate them one way or another. But that is an assumption. Why else, in my opinion, would you be so desperate to stop the release of the writings, even a redacted form? Transparency will be all of our salvation, right? In my opinion, but sure. Incidentally, as this was popping off on social media as well, I came across a post by Hillary Burton Morgan that there apparently is already a decade's worth of news items recurring this particular school's attempts at covering up child sexual abuse. Apparently, even one of the founders, John Perry, is allegedly to be one of those sexual abusers that they are desperately trying to cover 
cover up any and all things concerning him. So that just added to my already very suspicious mind of what are you trying to hide? Incidentally, as I'm recording this, news say that graphic writings left behind by the shooter are leaked. So there might be a follow-up a little later on. And I want to add that if you think that I'm making an issue out of a tiny or a non-issue, I would like to share with you that around this time, Gotham Knights aired. Unfortunately, since it's been cancelled, in that show, there is a transgender, an actual transgender actor who played a transgender role. And many celebrated, heralded, were moved to tears when Misha Collins' character, Harvey Dent, chastised a police officer for using someone's dead name in an interrogation, as it was a clear means of diminishing them. This, to me, again, reiterates how important, how meaningful, accurate representation, inclusion, acknowledgement is, and that we should always, no matter how much we can condemn someone's behavior, show someone that respect for someone somewhere will recognize at least a part of themselves in this shooter and will internalize your disrespect and your rejection, that part of them. Also, because we don't know what led to this, although, like I said, with all the information that's available now, I think we can all guess that something went down there. And it doesn't excuse what they did, not at all, but I do think it should be taken into account, and I also think that it highlights how important mental health care is, how important inclusion, acceptance, representation is, and how driven to desperate acts people who feel shunned, ousted, rejected, threatened, because transgender gender people. Oh yeah, they feel threatened in this world and society because just look at Uganda. Therefore, for this item, I took a little extra time to condemn the actions of Aiden Hale while simultaneously making it very clear that I condemn their actions and not their identity. Continuing on this theme, surprisingly, it was also this month, psychiatrists have expressed regret for the suffering inflicted on LGBTI people because their identity for a very long time was viewed, and until quite recently, was viewed as a disease. Based on that belief, harmful therapies were initiated that have severely damaged, traumatized, and hurt this community. The Professional Association for Psychiatrists has drawn up an official statement expressing their regret. Treatments to change sexual orientation were not uncommon until the 1970s. Usually it involved talk therapy, but it also involved electric shocks and actual castration or chemical castration. Until the early 1970s, homosexuality was still viewed as a mental illness and part of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the DSM. Until 2013, being transgender was still labeled as an identity disorder. Though doctors no longer see homosexuals and transgender people as people with mental illness, society still views them often as sick and deviant. This attitude is precisely what leads to psychological disorders. According to psychiatrist Ben Rusink, people who belong to the LGBTI community are more likely to end up in mental health care as a result of social stigmatization, which gives them the feeling that they cannot be themselves. And as I can testify from both professional and personal experience, that does something to your mental well-being. A population study by the Trimbus Institute from 2010 set off all the alarm bells for him, as the rate of suicide attempts among LGBTI youth was four times higher, four times, than among the general population. So yeah, this is important and thus I think explains why I expanded quite a bit, though I'm seeing how other people popped off on social media on Hillary Britton's comment alone. I'm probably gonna piss off some people, but I'm cool with it. I stand by what I said. 
and to jump on the persecuting bandwagon, according to Italian law, only the biological parent can appear on the certificate. The second parent must first go through an adoption procedure. In recent years, progressive mayors have made it easier for LGBTI parents to both register. Fertility treatments for homosexual couples are still banned in Italy, yet there are still ways, luckily, for them to have children. The official route for registration is often an ordeal, though. First of all, it's very expensive because you have to hire a lawyer for the adoption procedure. You go through a process at the juvenile court, people come to inspect your house. This is no small feat and definitely not something that straight people have to deal with and in some occasions I think they could do with this before they are allowed to have children, but that's just me. The process takes at least three years and having a lawyer for that amount of time, that's a lot of money. Until then, the second parent doesn't actually officially lawfully exist. You need authorization just to take the child to school and pick it up. How fucking demeaning is that? You're not allowed to decide on medical treatments and you're not allowed to travel abroad with your child without reporting this to the police in advance as if you are a fucking criminal. Wild is your child. And then worst of all, in my opinion, if the biological parent were to die before the adoption procedure is finalized, the second parent has no right to the child. What the actual fuck? The conservative government of Italy is most fiercely opposed to surrogacy as well, which is consistently called womb for rent by Italian right. Thus, it is prohibited in Italy, which means that in practice, both gay and straight couples who want to have children need to go abroad if they want to conceive through surrogacy. Therefore, the warning before this section even started because, yeah, this does a number on you as a member of the LGBTQI plus family. Very disheartening. And another very wrong, real groundbreaking, so I'm going to try and find the silver lining here. For the first time, a UFC fighter has been revealed to not be a heterosexual. Unfortunately, this was not exactly his choice. 25-year-old American Jeff Molina has come out as bisexual. He came out in response to a video that appeared of him online showing him having oral sex with another man. In other words, he was outed. Considering his profession, unfortunately, I can understand why he wasn't open about it. Many of us aren't, for a variety of reasons. But to out someone is an incredibly violating act. That is just indescribably damaging, demeaning, and dangerous even. Because as Molina himself explains, being anything but heterosexual in that world is considered anything but acceptable. Not that all, luckily, there are still, you know, some sane ones. Check out one of my promotional posts on Let's Review with Leila and you Instagram account where there was happy news about MMA fighters who stood up for people of the LGBTQI plus family, showing that not all of them are bigoted, conservative, narrow-minded, ableist. There are just not enough adjectives. Assholes. But yeah, to hear that this man was outed against his will at a time that was not of his choosing. I don't know who did it. I don't know why you did it. But I truly hope that you know that you made some very bad karma points with that action. And that I truly hope that you see the error of your ways and that people will hold you accountable. So yeah, that was it for the LGBTQI plus section. On to weather and climate and other semi-man-made, non-human-made disasters that happened in March. Unfortunately, once again, there were quite a few. Gotta admit, did not see this one coming. The US government has approved controversial oil drilling in Alaska after this was a Biden campaign promise that he would not do this. By approving this multi-billion dollar willow oil project, as it's called, Biden is angering the environmental organizations and indigenous interest groups. And I am definitely with them. They say the project is estimated to be worth $7 billion. Give a flying fart. You said no for a very good reason. That is why it was a campaign promise, one that I think we should hold you 
YouTube. This is not just from we need the money. This is truly the thing that I think could cost you the election or re-election, I should say. And also, this is not what our planet needs. Our planet needs us to stop drilling for oil. We literally have the technology for wind, sun, energy. Focus all your efforts on that, on expanding that usage and storage and all that jazz. Here in Europe or my country, they're also considering nuclear energy. Not completely a fan, if I gotta say, you know, but as a solution to the fossil fuel dependency and stopping that as soon as possible, I'm willing to be flexible. Let's just not park it in the middle of a highly populated zone is all I'm asking. But hey, anything is better than this. I really truly hope that this project is going to get called off. To give Biden an indication why he should keep his promise, here are climate change consequences people all over the world are suffering in, well, March 2023. At least 10 people have now been killed in Turkey due to the flooding in the area that was hit hard by the earthquakes in February. Snow coats Mallorca, Spain. This is the first time it has snowed in 12 years. It isn't just a little snow. No, it covered the island. Problem. Millions of fish have died in southeastern Australia due to the heat and low water levels in a river. In Peru, at least 6 people have been killed in recent days due to heavy rain and flooding caused by a tropical storm, Yaku. The tropical storm Freddy lasted six weeks, resulting in nearly 400 deaths in Malawi and Mozambique. Freddy came ashore for the second time, apparently it can do that, in southern Africa via Mozambique. Eight organizations are concerned about the consequences of Freddy for the population, as Malawi is still recovering from previous tropical storms Anna and Gombe, which hit the country just over a year ago. According to UNICEF, the region is also dealing with an extremely worrying outbreak of cholera. Freddy needs to break the record for the longest lasting tropical storm ever recorded. The storm lasted for 36 days. The previous record was 1994, 31-day storm. Also, the first major wildfire in Spain this year has already destroyed almost 40 square kilometers. About 1,500 people have had to leave their homes due to the fires northwest of Valencia. The fires we are seeing now, especially so early in the year, are further evidence of the climate emergency facing humanity, which particularly affects countries like ours, said Spanish Prime Minister Sanchez. Also, at least 25 people were killed by a tornado in the United States of Mississippi. The whirlwind left a trail of destruction over a distance of more than 100 miles. The village of Rolling Fork, with 1,700 inhabitants close to the Louisiana border, has been largely destroyed. An entire village. 43,000 Somalis have died last year due to the country's worst drought in four decades. Half of the deaths are probably children. Why I reiterate, climate change is real, so don't drill in Alaska, please. It's also a very interesting development concerning the whole climate change clusterfuck that we're experiencing. The European Court of Human Rights is considering whether a country violates human rights if it does too little to combat climate change. My vote is yeah, because I keep voting for the parties that want to go green and that want to combat climate change productively and expediently. However, their, our interests continue to get put aside in favor of corporate interests, or as I like to call it, corporate greed. I mean, I was taught about climate change in high school. It's well over 20 years ago. And they have been dragging their feet. And I have been voting. Like from the first time that I was allowed to vote in every single election since I have voted. So I'm very eager to see what the European Court of Human Rights decides. Because if their answer is yes as well, this will have serious consequences for almost all the 50 countries that are parties in the Human Rights Treaty. In the case of the Action Group Agenda filing against the Dutch state, the Supreme Court in 20 
2019 ruled the government is obliged to do more to combat dangerous climate change. They stated that the European Human Rights Treaty obliges member states to protect their residents against real and imminent risk. And seeing that the Netherlands could also be called the lowlands, as in we are below sea level, I'd say it's a real and immediate risk. Also, the Supreme Court concluded there is worldwide agreement about the extent to which climate change poses a danger. Yeah. So therefore, stop with the fucking grilling. Start fully committing to green energy. Clean energy. Seeing that green energy apparently has become a dirty word. Fuck off with all your private jets. Start using trains more. This is no longer a distant future problem. This is a now problem. And in case you're doubting, just look at all the environmentally climate change induced disasters I just listed. And those were only in March. Please do remember this year was full of earthquakes. And that can also be, you know, Mother Nature bitch slapping us for continuing to drill, if you're asking me. Because Mother Nature is also having a party. And I will cry if I want to. And I want to. How about y'all? Then on to Mother Nature being, well, Mother Nature. Dozens and dozens of injuries after an earthquake with a magnitude of 6.5 hits Afghanistan and Pakistan. Last year, the border area between Afghanistan and Pakistan was also hit by a major earthquake in June, killing at least a thousand people. The earthquake then only had a magnitude of 6.1. And yet, I don't remember hearing anything about this in the news in March, but okay. <clears throat> that in and of itself says a lot too. Moving on. In Indonesia, the volcano Merapi erupts. And to wrap up this part of the fun, powerful earthquake rocked southern, western Ecuador and northern Peru, killing 13 in Ecuador and one in Peru. But that wasn't all. A fire followed by explosions at a fuel depot in Jakarta killed at least 17 people. Dozens were injured. Thousands were evacuated as the fire spread to surrounding neighborhoods. More than 250 firefighters deployed to bring the fire under control. They think that due to heavy rainfall, a pipeline seemed to have burst. Okay, I don't know what's up here, but last month in February, someone put the bad juju on New Zealand. This month, it seemed that Bangladesh got bitch slapped by disasters. Because, yeah, there's a list. Strap in. At least six people were killed in a fire following an explosion at an oxygen factory. In southeastern Bangladesh, thousands of people have been left homeless by a major fire in an overcrowded refugee camp. Some 2,000 shelters were burned and some 12,000 displaced Myanmarese have been left homeless. At least 35 mosques, 21 educational centers went up in flames. Wow. Authorities at the camp are working closely with international and local aid organizations to provide food and temporary shelter to those affected. In recent decades, more than a million members of the oppressed Muslim Rohingya minority have fled from Myanmar to neighboring Bangladesh. More than 700,000 of them have fled since 2017. Since that year, the Myanmar army has been expelling members of the minority group from the country with brute force. And yet this was the first time I heard about it. Okay. Fires in Cox's Bazaar, as it's called, are becoming more common. In the last two years, 222 fire incidents were reported. 60 cases are thought to have been due to arson. So, to say that these people are living under unsafe, unlivable conditions, I think would be the understatement of the century. Maybe we should do something about that. Especially seeing that I do not remember hearing about this at all. And it's not for lack of attention, so I think it's more like it got drowned out by all the other disasters going on in the world. Unfortunately, that's not where it ended for Bangladesh. At least 14 dead and dozens were injured in another explosion in a Bangladesh apartment complex, and a bus left the road and fell several meters down, causing 19 people to lose their lives and an unknown number of others were injured. There were more than 40 passengers on the bus. Though the driver did not survive the accident, it appears that he lost control after a tire blowout. Like I said, bad juju that month. Damn. 
this month again, what is up with the train derailments, people? Last month, we had the disastrous train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, of which the consequences, I fear, will show themselves in the upcoming months, years. Yeah. This time, there was a train collision leading to a train derailment in Greece, leaving 57 people dead, many wounded, and they quickly found out that it was caused by human error. Oy. Also, there was a train derailment killing two people in Egypt. Here also, it seemed that human error was the cause, as the train driver is said to have missed a stop signal. And to wrap up this lovely train derailment section, there was also a train derailment in Florida with propane, the thing that goes boom. Luckily, there was no leak, so, you know, crisis averted. I mean, one in February and one in March in the United States, that would have been just, well, likely, it seems, with all these developments. Like, what is up? I just promoted that we should be able to take train, but apparently that is also in desperate need of reassessment, safety measures, check, triple check. Oy. Anywho, that wraps up all the wackadoodle shizzle, mother nature, human nature, collision section, and now we get to the lovely, the weirdly, say what now section. And this month, again, there were a bunch, so that's also why this episode of Sneak Peek was released, because this turned out to be a longer episode than I intended. But hey, I do it to keep all of us informed. Being well informed allows us to make, well, informed decisions, and hopefully direct affirmative action in how to get this, all of this, cleared up, cleaned up, this fucked up, preferably, as soon as we can. Alrighty. The chocolate Toblerone is no longer allowed to display the Mountain Matterhorn on its packaging because part of the production now takes place outside of Switzerland and apparently that is a big no-no. So now they have to put a generic mountainside on the Toblerone packaging. Last month, although I did not include this in my podcast episode because I thought, how often does that happen? Does it really matter because they found it in the end? Apparently I should have added it. Because in February 2023, they lost a vial of radioactive material. And lo and fuck me behold, in March, they again lost radioactive material, this time in Thailand. A cylinder containing a radioactive substance disappeared from a coal-fired power plant in Thailand. And I guess, like, this one's a little better or, well, you know, probably some Someone took it or misplaced it or whatever. They found it in the end. That's what's important. But the one in Australia literally, I shit you not, fell off the back of a truck. Yeah. They found it in the end. Thank God. But yeah, this I could not not include this time. So you are welcome. Then this one struck me as rather disturbing. And first I added it to my ableist section. But then I thought, nah, I can scrap this. But then I thought about it again and I was like, no, this is just wackadoodle. So I'm going to add it to the wackadoodle section. More than 400 people were sentenced to life in prison because of the death of the former Chadian president. As President Idris Deby visited his troops in the west of the country, Chad, he was seriously injured when his troops engaged with rebels. Much of it is unknown. It could be friendly fire, but I way for one death with a lot of unknowns apart from the fact that the dude died they were able to convict 400 different people for that please explain that math better yet don't the city of St. Louis in America is suing Kia and Hyundai because a large number of their cars are apparently relatively easy to steal using a USB cable. Really? I didn't know that. The city joins a row of cities that have already taken South Korean automakers to court over the lack of anti-theft technology in their cars. I don't know if it's wise for me to share this with the rest of the world, but there you go. 
Apparently, it has become a thing, as in this has happened more than once, where someone robs a bank for a dollar. That's a federal crime. They get sent to federal prison, and it is believed that they do this because at least when they are in prison, they have access to healthcare. I did not intend this episode to be so fucking doomy gloomy, but lord have mercy. What a world we are living in. And the shitty part is, this is the world that we create, and are creating, and have created. Fortunately, we can change it. What? This also happened this month, and this one hurts my brain, especially after I read the update later in the year, because seeing that we are recording this in October, I can give little sneaky peeky updates so that I don't necessarily have to bring them back later. In Spain, they decided to change the law, but by changing the language of the law, it is now being exploited by the sex offenders that got convicted, resulting in reduced sentences. The final verdict from Spain's Supreme Court in June states that the new language in the anti-rape law resulting in the sentence reductions for sex offenders, rapists, justified. Wow. So by trying to alter the law to make it more clear, sex offenders found a way to abuse the law in their favor. How this was even possible, we would like to know, so therefore I did some research. The reform law is nicknamed solo si es si, meaning only yes is yes. It already reformed the law multiple times, as the initial reform removed the crime of sexual abuse from the penal code to make it easier to legally define non-consent sexual acts as assault, which is considered under law a worse offense. However, this resulted in lowering the minimum sentence for the crimes, resulting in sentence reductions for violent sexual assailants already convicted, and in some cases their immediate release from prison, as the Spanish constitution provides that the most favorable version of laws are to be applied to the prisoners. Thousands of imprisoned convicts have asked to have their sentences reviewed, and so far, almost 1,000 sentences have been reduced, and in approximately 100 cases, it led to prisoners being released. For instance, the day after the Supreme Court pronounced that the law is justified, another rapist had his 12-year sentence reduced to 5 years. So simply by changing a few words in the law, with the intent to make it easier to define non-consensual sex acts, they inadvertently opened the door for convicts where judges used that particular word that holds a lesser sentence as a reason to reduce their sentences. And clearly a lot of them are filing and winning. This is like the dark ages for women. Like we had the dark ages for technology and now we have the dark ages for women yet again. Which is so weird because we are supposedly intellectually advanced. Rome, the capital of Italy, has apparently major problems processing their large quantities of household waste. Next month, 900 tons of Italian waste will be sent to Amsterdam every week. Every every week fuck me to be incinerated here there's currently apparently more incineration capacity in the netherlands than is necessary for our produced domestic waste isn't that a good thing that means that we are producing less waste but okay and for as long as this is the case foreign waste may be processed to temporarily help out other countries so we are now officially the trash bin of europe yay that was a title i did not have on my bingo card but okay And to continue on that duchy section, the Justice and Security Introspectorate has started an orientation into the actions of the police after they found child pornography on a perpetrator's mobile phone in 2021. Why, you may ask? Well, this is also the motherfucker that last year raped killed a nine-year-old boy. It was only after this man was arrested for the disappearance and later we learned sexual abuse and murder that the child pornography case was included in the investigation against him. Because in 2021, the discovery had led to no direct legal consequences and no investigation was conducted after a man is in possession of child pornography. How? Why? 
I'm very curious to see what this investigation into the police's conduct shows because not only did this boy die, his mother couldn't take it anymore. He has since committed suicide. So yeah, I'm very interested to see what the inspectorate concludes because in my eyes, this was once again a massive failure of our justice system. And I am left to wonder again if there was any psychiatric, psychological assessment involved in these kinds of instances when these judgment calls were made. And on the topic of judgment calls, apparently French writer Michel Huillebecq lost another lawsuit in Amsterdam yesterday he'd filed against Dutch artist collective Keeping It Real Art Critics for his role in a film with sex scenes. Apparently, he had already previously lost a similar lawsuit against the collective in France. According to the makers of the film, the French writer knew very well what he was getting into when he agreed to participate in a film with sex scenes. The writer demanded that the film in which he appears in erotic scenes be banned. In Amsterdam court, Huillebecq argued that he was depressed when he decided to participate in the film. He also said to have been drunk when signing the contract and not to have known what he was agreeing to. The judge in Amsterdam did not agree with this, as the film stars Dutch artist in a sex scene with Hulebeck and his wife, leaving a real art critics collective, has been making such films since 2016 in which they criticize art and the art world. Their projects have often caused a stir. I wonder why. The history of the 2021 film Honeypot has many similarities with that of Hulebeck. In that film, the artist Ginny van Rooyen has sex with a former political schmuckrimo, and he too later withdrew his permission, but the film was still shown. I am of two minds, again. <laughs> I wonder how other people feel. On the one hand, I'm like, you should have apparently did know what you were getting into because you'd done it before. You signed paperwork. So I understand why they say you knew what you were getting into and this contract is legally binding. So tough. On the other hand, it involves sex scenes. And I am also of the opinion that at any point in time, when you want that content removed from public view, I think you should be allowed to, at any point in time in the future, after its release, sometimes maybe apparently such as in this case before release if you change your mind if it's just a regular movie my opinion would have been tough suck it up but because it's an adult movie with sex scenes very intimate i think that a person is allowed to say you know what i've changed my mind no thank you i also covered this in my stargate episode with the actress that was also in the original full frontal and then apparently no longer felt comfortable so in streaming services they zoomed in her face i believe I would know because I have the DVD, so I still get the full frontal. And we don't have Stargate, unfortunately, on any of our streaming services. Or at least not the ones I got. And I got a few. But I read this online when I was researching that it apparently matters which version you're watching. And in that episode too, I talked about consent, which is a topic that we are finally starting to discuss. But still, I'm noticing a lot of different interpretations of the word exist. We think it's only more reason to talk about it and to try and find a definition that we can all agree on. But yeah, in my opinion, nudity, you should at any point in time be allowed to withdraw your permission and that should be honored. And to continue on the topic of consent and the sometimes lack thereof in the entertainment industry, I literally called the Report Undesirable Behavior Board in the cultural sector, which was founded in 2018 after the emergence of the Me Too movement, is resigning, like the entire board. The board itself has become a topic of discussion. Alright then. The board consists of people who work in the cultural and creative sector. It appeared that several people did not report abuses because the people on the board were believed to be unable to remain objective. Considering their connection to the abuser, which turned out to be one of the husbands.
advocates of the board members. Sometimes to me it's still so mind-boggling that advocates and even to the point that you're on a board to help people come forward about abuse allegations and protect those that they end up married or very close to abusers. That to me really goes to show one how fucking prevalent it is. It's in every sector on every level of society but also how important it is that we learn to recognize the signs and that we hold people accountable as soon as their shady ass behavior becomes clear. If you see something, say something. And I love that we are assembling boards and movements are talking about it. I really do. It blows my mind. Apparently it is known and I, I mean just looking at jokes in as much as you can call them jokes in movies and TV shows and satirical content over the last decades where we make light of the casting couch and how it's abused. Showing that it was a well-known, considered to be normalized part of the industry kind of attitude. Abuse was tolerated, encouraged, enabled. And that's why I think we need to do more. We need to hold people accountable. We need to hold the perpetrators accountable. Fuck yeah. But also, I think that's a cancel culture, people. Because again, listen to my previous podcast. I'm not of that trend at all. I am of the holding people accountable trend. It's already difficult to make something stick. Especially if there is no hard evidence. And it's just, he said, she said. And it just, it's very hard to prove that an assault happened. And even then, when you come forward, hopefully someone actually is willing to listen, willing to act on it. That's not a given either, unfortunately. But also, the people who were aware of it, the people who helped the abuser get away with it. I think we need to do more on that as well. Those people get to skate way too often. Just the church in and of itself, the enablers, the people that knew of the assault and just instead of holding them accountable, tossing them out of the fucking church, they just kept moving those priests around. And Harvey Weinstein, Jeffrey Epstein, they all had very powerful, famous friends who at least on some level had to know. Not only knows how many of them actually joined in as you hear that he was fast friends with a lot of bigwigs in politics, in entertainment, how many of them helped him do whatever evilness he was doing and benefited from it. I'd say continuing to talk about this and holding people accountable, all people, the abusers, but also the enablers is important. Vital if we truly want to stop normalizing abuse. On a happier and true say what now item, apparently a former housing association intern turned out to have used 12 social housing units for the cultivation of cannabis. He used the homes of tenants who had died, wow, you seriously have a deviant if not absent moral compass, and told surviving relatives that the rent had been cancelled while he collected it through another account. Yeah. The man was exposed when one of the surviving relatives asked questions about the lease termination. The housing association sent the intern away and filed a report, but the justice department did not nothing about it. Of course they didn't. That is why the Housing Association has now, seven years later, started civil proceedings to recover damages. You better. Fuck me. Really? Social rental properties are intended for home seekers, not criminal practices. The House Association told reporters, yeah, the former intern reportedly said in court this month that he no longer remembers anything about the internship. Motherfucker, you were running a criminal enterprise. Twelve houses stuffed to the bricks with cannabis. Ah. And you don't 
remember? Have you been sampling the product a little too much? Apparently, the court made its ruling in May. I haven't heard like, what it's gonna be, and like, this is gonna come back. In the May episode, I'm gonna give you an update, because I wanna know what happened here. Be On the one hand, I'm like, ingenious, sort of. I mean, it's still, the fact that you did it to the homes of tenants who had died, it feels a little morally bankrupt, apart from the whole criminal enterprise of it all, in and of itself. But yeah, and then the Justice Department doesn't do shit. That part kills me too, but the Justice Department in the Netherlands and me, we already have a lot of issues, as you may have noticed from previous episodes. Anywho, moving on. Another weird one. Apparently dozens of funerals are accessible on YouTube. A simple search will reveal the video showing a coffin, those present, including speeches given. Apparently, they started to record the funerals during the COVID pandemic so that people from home could log on, which is lovely. But you were supposed to use the password to access only the funeral that you were going to want to attend, and not everyone else's. But apparently, there was a loophole or an oopsie-daisy where you are apparently able to watch funerals online at random. That's creepy. Like, genuinely creepy. Not to mention seriously disturbing and quite invasive. Plus, don't this have something to do with privacy issues as well? And on to celebrity news. A lot of deaths, unfortunately, in March as well. Tom Sizemore, aged 61, probably know from all sorts of movies, but at the very least, I think most of us have seen Saving Private Ryan, Black Hawk Down, Pearl Harbor. He has appeared in well over 230 movies and TV shows, so no doubt we all know him from somewhere. He had been in a coma for several weeks after being admitted in February due to a brain hemorrhage, and unfortunately in March he died, and apparently got snubbed during the Oscars in memoriam. I mean, maybe because it was in the same month as the Oscars were, but I mean, how much effort is it to plonk a picture and his name in that list? His loss was still raw, so I'd expected him. Especially seeing the amount of work that that man created, produced, participated in, in his lifetime. Well over 230 credits to his name. I mean, come on. Let's hope he is going to be in the in memoriam next year. And apparently, I did a little accidental snub in myself last month. In February, Burt Bacharach died. Died at the age of 94. And though that name may not mean much to some, he is best known for the iconic songs of I'll Never Fall in Love Again, Say a Little Prayer for You, and Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. Wow, now that is quite the legacy to leave behind. And also, unexpectedly, Lance Reddick, who many will know from John Wick, but I originally knew him from Fringe, died at 60. He was a very good actor, and I really loved his deep resonant voice. I was very sad to hear that he died. Also, guitarist Gary Rosington, the last surviving original band member of the rock band Leonard Skinner, died at the age of 71. And as I was reading the article, there was some background information as well, which kind of surprised me, so I'm going to share with you. Learn with me, friends! Rosington started a band in 1964 at the age of 12 with other band members Ronnie Van Zandt, Alan Cullings, Larry Junstrom, and Bob Burns. Later, other members joined as well, including Steve Gaines. After its formation, the band had several names, but in 1970, they settled on Leonard Skinner after their high school gym teacher, called Leonard Skinner, and he is said to have expelled some of the band members because their hair was too long. Now that is a way to internalize a schmuck. And so very 70s, I gotta love it. Unfortunately, Leonard Skinner has had a tough road, as Rossington was one of the very few survivors of the October 1977 plane crash that ended the original makeup of the band, as Van Sant, Steve Gaines, his sister, the manager, and both pilots were killed. Rossington was left with two broken arms, a broken leg, a punctured abdomen, and liver. Yowza. It wasn't even the first time that he escaped death. A year before, he survived a head-on collision with a tree, which inspired, incidentally, the song That Smell. In later years, Rossington had had a heart attack and underwent quintuple, I didn't even know that was a thing, bypass surgery and other heart operations. Since 87, he was a part of the restart of Leonard Skinner together with Van Sant's younger brother. I did not know all of that. And now I do. And so do you. You are welcome.
this is also a growing trend. Actress Lindsay Lohan, YouTuber and boxer Jay Paul, and singer Neo have been charged with illegally promoting cryptocurrency. They allegedly used their social media accounts to promote cryptocurrencies without mentioning that they were paid to advertise. Lohan, Paul, and Neo have settled along with rapper Lil Yachty, singer Akon, and adult film star Kendra Lust for a total of more than $400,000. Apparently, rapper Soldier Boy and singer Austin Mahone decided not to settle with the SEC. This is not the first time that celebrities with millions of followers were promoting cryptocurrencies without indicating that they were paid for it. Previously, actor Matt Damon, actress Reese Witherspoon, and American football icon Tom Brody have done this as well in recent years. Kim Kardashian too has said to have paid a million dollars in fines last year, and actor Steven Seagal settled a similar case in 2020 as well. And yet, it's not like they sweat the money, for one. And two, in my opinion, the damage is already done, because in them promoting it, you know people will follow in their footsteps. That is why they are promoting it. That is why they are getting paid for it. Basically, any promotional sponsor ad, I just immediately start swiping, whether you're a celebrity or not, because I don't give a flying fart. I'm not gonna buy anything because a celebrity is wearing it or using it. I remember, like, back in the early 2000s that all these celebrities were drinking and promoting Pepsi, and then they were only allowed to be seen drinking Pepsi. That is, to me, marketing gone loony. Drink whatever the fuck you want when you want it. That you promote it should not automatically mean that you are now bound to use it forever. Where do y'all land on this? And then for the last holy banana, I did not know this. Apparently Sharon Stone revealed in a podcast that in 2003, she lost custody of her four-year-old child because of her infamous scene in Basic Instinct. Yeah, that one. And yeah, that one. Considering what else has been on TV these past decades? Really? Apparently, and this kind of popped my lid and this is also why I'm adding it to the podcast, the judge asked her then four-year-old child, do you know your mother makes sex movies? Where that man gets off, no pun intended, because I I really hope that never a day in his life he will ever get off ever again. Do you get the nerve, the audacity to ask a child such a question? And also, for what? Personally, I've seen the movie. It was definitely eluded, but I'm sorry. That is not a sex movie, make mister. And if you call that a sex movie, how vanilla must your sex life be if that in your brain is already construed as sexual? Men are so dumb. Easy and dumb. They did get all hot and bothered about that scene, but lord have mercy, people, really? Here I thought I was an easy. Play, blah, you know what I mean. Apparently not. None of that matters because that does not decide what kind of a mother you are. If she had been a full-on adult movie film star. Women are sexual beings. I mean, how do you think your mother had you? Sex, no matter how bad, would have had to proceed it. She does not an unfit mother make. Which, unfortunately, is exactly what this judge claimed. Apparently, he cited the movie Basic Instinct as the reason why she was a potentially unfit mother, resulting in her losing custody of her child. Wow. And this just doubly flipped my lid when... In March this year, apparently, people in Berlin are now allowed to go topless at public swimming pools. Case in point. Sorta. Lord have mercy. Honestly. The obsession with women's bodies? They are judging, literally and figuratively, sanctioning, punishing women for their bodies never fails to amaze me, disgust me, piss me the fuck off, and it's such a clear sign of the patriarchal, toxic, masculinity, ableist, male superiority complex Heidi Dick energy world we are living in and I cannot wait for the world to change and for us women to be finally let free and I think the whole reason that we're not just goes to show how terrified they are of us because I think deep down deep 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 down they know that we aren't just the fairer sex we can also kick your ass if we want to stop making us want to
a follow-up on the fatal shooting incident on the film set of Rust in 2021. For the first time, there's been a conviction. David Hall's first assistant director of the film, did not object to his charges today, after which the judge sentenced the man to a suspended prison sentence of six months. Halls is accused of negligence in the use of a weapon. Camerawoman Helena Hutchins was fatally hit when it unexpectedly went off during recording. Actor Alec Baldwin, who fired the gun that killed her, still faces manslaughter charges. I'm glad charges were filed. I'm a little disappointed that it is a suspended sentence, but yeah, someone needed to be held accountable for what happened on that movie set, because that was not okay. A lot of things had to have gone wrong for even possibility of life bullets ending up in that gun that day that someone got shot, let alone killed. So yes, I do believe people should be held accountable for that. Then a little more happier news, which is desperately needed after all of this horribleness, because luckily March also has some of that. American rock singer Bruce Springsteen has received the highest cultural award from the United States from President Biden. He receives the National Medal of Arts. Congrats. Awesome. And why only now? Like, how has he not gotten this decades ago? But okay. And then, of course, the Oscars for this month. And this was a very special edition for several reasons. Frasier won Best Act for The Whale, thus officially being back after people seemingly really seemed to ditch him. Even though he had a very successful run in the 90s and I believe the early 2000s, I loved his Actors on Actors with Adam Sandler by Variety interview. I really do recommend you see that. Also, I loved him in the Mummy movies and I never really understood why people were starting to hate on him and why we didn't really see him all that much these last few decades. To me, he always seemed to have a lot of fun and a genuine actor, despite maybe the ridiculous roles that he played, but he did them well. Much like, I think, the boys. Like, it's ridiculous, but if you do it well and there's this underlying message, I love that kind of entertainment. Very much unlike Stardashian reality, which are not reality shows, or those housewife soap operas, which I personally feel should be anything but encouraged. And another awesome moment at the Oscars was, of course, Michelle Yao's win for Best Actor, as she was now the first Asian woman to win this Oscar, and she won it for the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once, and its director, Kai Hui Kwan, also known as the boy short round in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and Data in The Goonies, made us all cry like a baby as Harrison Ford and he started to hug it out. And I just I really loved all of this this year, as it reminded me of the other first we had last year when Coda won for Best Picture in 2022. That movie won two other Oscars for Troy Kotzer with Best Supporting Actor, making him the first male deaf actor to win an Oscar, and only the second deaf actor to do so, joining his Coda co-star Marley Matlin. And I just love that this shows that maybe, quite possibly, we're actually slowly turning a corner where inclusion really truly becomes the new way of life. And I am here for it, People. Keep going. I love it. Then for the Dutch news, we already covered a little bit, but there were still some noteworthy items I decided to add to the episode. Haarlem, the Dutch airline, with four other airlines, is filing suit against the Dutch state. They do not agree with the proposed shrinkage of Schiphol air traffic, announced last year. Due to the noise and environmental pollution, the airport must shrink from a maximum of 500,000 flights per year to 440,000 in 2024. Also, it seems that employees at Schiphol do not dare to report accidents. Employees at Schiphol often do not 
report accidents because partly they are sent round in circles. As a result, both the safety of employees and that of the air traffic is at risk, so slightly important. Next, Heineken, the beer brand that's Dutch. Their head office has given the Russian division permission to launch new products, even though all companies were told to exit Russia. They claimed that this was necessary to find a new buyer and to avoid bankruptcy, which would have meant hundreds of employees would have to be let go, and the company says that the Heineken brand has been immediately removed from the Russian market, so they still adhered to the call. Yeah. In addition, they added that there was a threat of prosecution for local managers because apparently in Russia it's a criminal offense to deliberately let a company go bankrupt. They added, we recognize that we should have been clearer earlier about the need to introduce new products. Uh -huh. We realize that this has created ambiguity and doubt about our commitment to leave Russia. We apologize for this. Okay, I'm sorry, but wasn't the whole fucking reason to leave Russia so that they would feel it? So that the Russian population would rise up and shut Putin down from the inside. In my opinion, Heineke was rightfully accused of being greedy ass bitches trying to circumvent the call to pull out of Russia. And now you keep saying, oh, but we didn't want to fire 1,700 people. I'm sorry, on a yearly basis, you fire like, what, 2,000, sometimes 5,000, maybe more. And you don't seem to give a flying fart if that would mean that on another location in another country, you could make more money. And Heineke is a worldwide billion dollar company, so you can't tell me that you can't suffer the loss. So I reiterate, in my eyes, this is bullshit. And apparently, so do experts that they too call out this reasoning as bullshit. Where do y'all land on this? Next, also our Dutchy hospital personnel goes on strike, and apart from emergency services, everything will shut down, demanding better work conditions and better pay. Strike, baby! It's really the theme of the year, I'm loving it. By the end of the month, hospitals and unions agreed on a collective labor agreement to strike in April, during which a large part of the staff was due to go on strike, has therefore been averted. See? Striking works. Unions work. Healthcare workers who've lost their jobs due to long COVID do not, according to the judge, currently have to be automatically compensated. Government is currently working on a plan for compensation for healthcare workers who were affected during the first COVID wave in 2020 and are therefore no longer able to work. What you should know, after two years, you are cut off from any and all financial aid. So these people have zero income right now and they are still deliberating. Fuck y'all, honestly. Unions, in my opinion, rightfully so, claim that this is taking too long and that the group entitled to compensation would only increase. The unions wanted compensation not only for the staff who became affected during the first wave, but also those during the second wave. However, the judge ruled that it must be assessed on a case-by-case -case basis whether any compensation is appropriate. And this is the same government that for the last nearly 40 years has been unable to make a functioning computer system not crash every single time, multiple times, when tax season comes about. But sure, you take your time, Bubba. However, there was hope this month as well, as for the first time, a judge held a healthcare employer liable for the financial consequences of an employee's COVID infection. The 28-year-old nurse contracted long COVID after an infection in a nursing home. As a result, she cannot work fully and needs help. After two years of illness, her income was cut. The employer must now reimburse her lost income and additional costs due to her illness. The amount has not yet been determined, but according to the trade union, the claim could amount to several hundreds of thousands of euros. According 
According to the judge, the nurse has shown that she contracted COVID at work. And this is what the part that shits me and the reason why I want our government to be held accountable as well. The woman was not given permission to wear a mask by the nursing home's doctor because the government scientists kept saying, oh, there's no need. And thus the doctor followed the government's recommendations by not giving their employees permission to wear masks. They, in fact, were not allowed to wear them even if they did have them, as there would be far too few face masks for everyone and it would frighten residents. Obviously, though, bears pointing out, a nurse cannot keep six feet away from her patients. Plus, her patients were people with dementia. They couldn't remember to stay six feet away. So they knowingly put these people in harm's way. And not only staff, also the residents. Once a lot of these residents got infected and died during the pandemic. I'm guessing the reasoning would be, they're old, they've had a full life, it don't matter if they die. But what about all the young people that they exposed as well? The young people that got infected and sick and debilitated because of this. Those arrogant fuckers did not and do not account for these people that got sick because of COVID and because they were unable to protect themselves or in this case not even allowed to protect themselves. So therefore I am so fucking adamant that our government needs to be held accountable. They knowingly, willfully put our population at risk and the people who are suffering because of that I feel should be compensated generously. The judge now ruled that the employer failed in its duty of care and thus now has to fucking pay. So there is hope on the horizon and like I said I really seriously hope that this is eventually gonna extend to our government as well and justice is done. Apparently, urgently, nearly 5,000 additional places are needed for underage asylum seekers. There is a threat of a major shortage of asylum placements for unaccompanied minors. Last year, over 4,000 unaccompanied minors applied for asylum in the Netherlands, twice as many as in 2021. The Central Agency for the Reception of Asylum Seekers apparently already informed our government in 2016 of the risks of tight financing of medical care for asylum seekers because the healthcare for asylum seekers was unable to provide care since 2022, they are now purchasing very expensive care from secondary companies, who now have to supply additional general practitioners, nurses, and medical assistance for emergency and crisis care. These companies are making a sweet, sweet profit off of asylum care. A GP would have to be paid almost twice the amount that general practitioners normally earn during the evenings and in the weekends, leading people to not want to take those jobs anymore because they know that if if they work for the secondary companies, they get paid a shit ton more. That is what's happening here right now. People notice that if they are employed by the company, they get paid less, sometimes half, of what someone who is by lack of personnel flown in paid double for the exact same job. That has now become standard practice, and it's pissing more and more people off, understandably. Just pay everyone what they're fucking owed. Anywho, the Refugee Council said that they were shocked by the results of the investigation. I'm sorry. I'm not, because I've seen it, I've lived it, and this was a long time coming. I mean, 2016 people, honestly. The fact that they continue to say that they are shocked and appalled. It has apparently allowed the lowest price to prevail over care for extremely vulnerable people and they now state is extremely serious. <gasps> I know! 
that's what I've been saying for the last forever. And people just really still don't give a flying fart. Policy still, as they proudly proclaim, is to make us less appealing as a country to come seek asylum at. And in the meantime, we, the taxpayers, just need to pay more and more and more because our government keeps sticking its head up their own asses and making everyone else pay for it. And then when these reports come out, it's a scandal for like five whole seconds and the government resigns, but then they all get re-elected and round and round and round and round and round and round we go. I'm nauseous. Can we please stop? At least our prime minister is finally fucking off. He's leaving politics. Yay! However, at the same time, I'm also like, so you spent 15 years breaking it, and now when you can no longer deny it that something needs to happen now, y'all bail. Because it isn't just our prime minister that's quitting politics. About a quarter of our entire government body is quitting politics this year. Interesting. And slightly nauseating, because I also feel like this way, they are not held accountable, and they are not forced to be part of the solution. They broke it. I'm always very firm on if you break something, you are responsible also for the healing process. At least when it comes to business. Like, if you made shitty business decisions, you do not just get to prance away just when the shit's about to hit the fight and just skate. But that's a little more revenging me. I just hope that our population, not fully, pray with me, friends, that they finally became aware that shit needs to change, and hopefully they'll vote for the parties that actually come up with solutions. Practical, applicable, expedient solutions to the clusterfuck that we've been living in. Some people were jumping for joy at this news. I wasn't, but then again, I'm skeptical. Or just, you know, a realist. Because an agreement has been reached on reducing the workload in child protective services care. The number of clients per child protector will be gradually reduced in the course of 2024. It's received as a breakthrough for the newspapers whose average workload consists of nearly twice that. There is one giant, giant drawback of this ruling. It would mean that the waiting lists for children would yet again increase. The waiting list that is already, even for crisis care, sometimes 9 to 12 months for crisis care. I shit you not. So that's gonna go up even more. So people were all like, oh, did you hear they listened to you? And I was like, oh, so how are we gonna reduce the workload without more people? Making the minds wait even longer. Because that has been going so well already. <sighs> the only thing, in my opinion, that helps in the short term, at the very least, is more money and not to management and advisors and all those idiotic people that have a lot to say but don't actually do the work but pay the people what they're worth so that this again starts drawing in people instead of the massive exodus in healthcare that we've been seeing in the last few years. Now in daycare there is also an exodus starting and they are all going towards education because that is where the money is right now. So we clearly see when it comes to education and healthcare mental healthcare people go where the money is. Because this is a very high stakes, difficult, oftentimes thankless, sometimes dangerous, not to mention demanding job. So you need educated professionals that are able and capable of providing care needed. With the additional funds, our educated professionals can get hired to share the workload that is now crushing pretty much every single person left in youth care. Because the last eight years since the new law went into effect, it used to be 80% client 
time and 20% administrative time. Right now, our job feels like 80% administrative tasks and only 20% actual client contact. And I think that is mainly the reason why a lot of us are bailing and burning out. Because this is not what we're here to do. Because we see that our clients are not getting the help that they need. Mainly because of all the administrative hoops that we need to jump through before the care is even allowed to be provided. If it's even available to be provided. And not even the adequate care. It's become subpar and damaging. We're doing, in some instances, more harm than good. The fact that the judge now has to say, I know that the home environment is not safe. However, I also know that if I take the child out of the environment, which by law I actually should be doing, I also know that then the place where I put the child will also be traumatizing. So you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Or in this case, we damn the child. And that's the part that enrages me and breaks my heart and makes me so driven to mobilize people to make this change as soon as possible because we've been letting the government chisel, chip, smash with a sledgehammer away at our healthcare system. Even now the judges just don't know to choose anymore because either choice promises further traumatization. This ruling, that doesn't change. It's a way to say, we hear you shifting the weight of it off of us and onto the clients that we are there to help. So no, I was not jumping for joy at this news. Like, if we all decided to just walk away for a day, like, if everyone other than the emergent needs providers, if we all simultaneously decide to lay down our work and walk away for a day, for a week, see what happens. Is shit gonna hit the fan? Oh yeah, that's the whole point. They need to remember that we serve a purpose and that they need to get the fuck out of our way. They need to give us the means to do our job, to do our job efficiently, effectively, and stop micromanaging. Uh, we've gotten to the point where administrative workers are overruling medical doctors, psychiatrists. The system they've now created is that administrative workers check the work of doctors, of psychiatrists, and can say, don't agree with this, I'm not gonna pay for it. I'm sorry, who went to medical school here? Who the fuck are you to overrule doctors? Educated experts. That is the healthcare system we've created. Blows my mind that we let it get this far, and the only way that this is ever gonna change is if we make them. An update on the babysitters who sexually abused seven children. Both are sentenced to 12 years in prison. It's Dutchy law, what can I say? In addition, the man will be sentenced to compulsory treatment as well. The woman's risk of recurrence will be assessed towards the end of her prison sentence. Based on this, it will be decided whether she will receive treatment as well or whether just supervision is required. The pair must also pay damages totaling nearly 80,000 euros to the seven children. In my opinion, you could have tacked on one or two zeros, but sure. The woman must also pay her teenage daughter which sexually assaulted her own daughter. Compensation of a measly 3,400 euros. That's better than nothing, I guess. And with our, our justice system, whatever. That's why I don't like justice in my country, because in my opinion, it's not justice. Anywho, moving on. The court has sentenced a 63-year-old music teacher to 18 months in prison, of which six months are conditional. Mm. He is also not allowed to work with minors for a probationary period of three years after his release. How about never? Because shockingly, the court considers all accusations proven. The court concluded that there's a recognizable pattern in the way the music teacher worked. He is said to have committed fornication on three teenage girls. He even put his fingers inside of an 11-year-old. Yet the support for the men 
during the court hearing was striking. He also had paid the three victims compensation of more than 8,000 euros in total. He has already served six months of his sentence in pretrial detention. Again, make it make sense. Just no. Motherfucker, I would castrate you. And not the chemical one, the actual one. Oh, this hurts my brain, truly. To keep going on the sex offender route, the court has sentenced a 28-year-old who secretly removed his condom during sex to a suspended prison sentence of three months. The man was acquitted of rape, but according to the court, he was guilty of coercion. Yeah, I, I still call this assault. And <laughs> three months suspended. Oh, please. Nope. And another disconcerting ruling of a different kind of terrorist, blowing stuff up kind. He got sentenced to two years probation because according to the court, though he wanted to attack a mosque or a synagogue and even had asylum centers in mind, he was only given two years probation. Despite the court recognizing that he wanted to attack a mosque or a synagogue or asylum center, they found he had made plans and had watched instructional videos on how bombs are made. And he was making parts of a firearm with a 3D printer. Yet this this asshole was only given two years probation. Yeah, I still think y'all need to keep an eagle eye on this young fucker because at his age, and I think he was like 15, and you're already that radicalized, you're gonna pop off sooner or later, especially with the lack of proper follow-up care we got going on here, is my opinion. So, like, honestly, is it just me that this feels disproportionately light and that all these developments are seriously disconcerting, troubling? I really would like to know how Dutchies, non-Dutchies feel about this. I also learned this month that children's scream time continues to increase where now a quarter like 25% of babies already spend two hours a day on screens. Babies. Two hours a day. How? Why? They say that screen time of young children up to six years old has increased by seven minutes compared to last year. They now spend an average of 100 minutes a day on digital media, especially a tablet, phone, or television screen. I think that really is part of the problem. They get so tech-savvy that they are able to do shit with that thing. Parents have no fucking clue. A lot of parents don't even take the time to set the child protective settings or keep note of what their kid is involved in seeing. I am seriously concerned on how our children are developing. And then on to some happier news because we fucking really need it. Kids are now allowed to adopt both of their parents' surnames. Also, the wolf and otters are on the rise in the Netherlands. Even a pack of 11 was spotted. So cute. Although, unfortunately, it's leaving my country deeply divided, seeing that half of the population wants to shoot and kill the wolf because they keep killing livestock and others say they've nearly been hunted into extinction we should let them live i'm with them like don't shoot the wolfie they're so cute and not you forget majestic animals at the very least we can learn quite a bit from their pack rules just saying and to wrap this god-awful very doomy gloomy month with some light sprinkled through thankfully from this year on all homosexual men will now be allowed to donate blood and plasma even if they've had multiple bet partners provided that they have safe sex. Exclusion to due to their sexual orientation is now officially over. And I mean, it is about bloody, no pun intended, time. Jesus fuck. I didn't even know that, that was still a thing. I thought we were long past those antics, but apparently not. But yeah, as of this year, we are. So go Dutchies, sort of. Not really. Can you tell I don't really like most Dutchies? Oh, okay, that's not true. I like plenty of Dutchies, but there is like a certain trend going on here that I find very very disconcerting. But I think, then again, that's a global problem and just indicative of how connected we all are, sadly. Well, we are connected for the good, the bad, the ugly. This is just mainly ugly and bad. Let's focus more on good. I like good. Let's do more good. We need it. 
if by chance I missed any important March developments, events, please do share, enlighten us all. Come check out our Instagram account, Let's Review with Layla and You, for some primo content. In addition to these podcast episodes, viewer discretion is advised, and also a place for you to drop a comment and share your thoughts. I would love to hear them, and I do hope to see you back for the next episode, where we will be reviewing April 2023. I do hope to see you there. <laughs>